So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media? Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Welcome into the best in paranormal programming. This is Darkness Radio. I'm your host, Tim Dennis. I'm excited today, folks. More than my regular excitement, but uh, let's just call it super excited today as we have an esteemed guest with us today, one that I've been looking forward to for quite some time. Timothy Hogan is with us today. He's an author and international lecturer who specializes in cross-cultural symbolism. He's also a past master with several different spiritual and initiatic traditions. It includes many bodies, including Freemasonry and Rosicrucian lineages. Uh, he is the current Grandmaster for the Order of the Temple of Secret Initiates, which is a Knights Templar lineage. He also runs the Templar Collegia and is associated with it. Uh, Timothy Hogan has lectured all over the world in both public and private venues. As a matter of fact, uh, if you go to uh, DisclosureFest.org, you'll be able to get tickets to Stairway to the Stars, which is coming up at the Luxor in Las Vegas, November 10th through the 12th. You'll be able to see him lecture there on one of the topics we'll be talking about today, which is alchemy. And I, I guarantee you, folks, if you go to his YouTube page as well, you'll see a couple of talks that are absolutely fascinating there. We'll talk more about his YouTube page as well as uh, we get into our hour here today. Timothy Hogan is extremely, extremely fascinating. He's a fascinating guy. He's he's appeared, you've seen him on numerous TV and uh, podcast programs as well. He is lectured at several universities and U.S. embassies as well. Yes, I said U.S. embassies. He has done track to diplomacy in many countries. I'm stumbling because he just got back from Egypt, folks. He, you would not believe the amount of countries he's been to. We'll talk a little bit about that as well. He's the author of The Alchemical Keys to Masonic Ritual, The 32 Secret Paths to, of uh, Solomon, Revelation of the Holy Grail, written under the pen name of Chevalier Emerus, Entering the Chain of Union, Novo Clavis Esoterica, The Way of the Templar, Thoughts from Meditations and Elements of the elements, uh, which we're going to talk about alchemy. That's the book that that comes from and numerous periodicals. Ladies and gentlemen, let's not stall any further. Let's bring him in. This is Timothy Hogan. Good evening, sir. Hey, good evening. Thanks for having me on your show. Well, thank you so much for being on. I greatly appreciate you uh, coming onto the program. Like I said, yeah. I've been waiting for quite some time and you might be able to tell there's a couple of nerves there too. Um, which I don't get. I, I don't get nerves. <laughs> I've been doing this thing for over 30 years, uh, Timothy. So I appreciate it so much that you're on. Um, I got to tell you, I find in having uh, my audience knows that, of course, 
My 17th great-grandfather is Bernard de Tromelin, who was the fourth Grandmaster of the Knights Templar. Yes. So to be able to talk to somebody of, of your rank in the Templar is, to me, a great honor. And I greatly appreciate you coming onto the program and being able to, uh, you know, to be able to talk with you and speak with you. So we'll get into a little bit the the connection between alchemy and the Templar here as we as we begin to talk. But first, Sounds I want to I want to start slow. I want to I want to talk okay. a little bit about alchemy and what alchemy is and yeah. what it means because the the average person I think hears alchemy science and they click that off in their brain because <laughs> they think right. this is going to hurt and we're going to do this so it doesn't hurt. No, we'll 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 make it very easy. Yeah. Uh what is alchemy, Timothy? So alchemy is the precursor to chemistry. In fact, chemistry got its name from alchemistry, which was the the name of alchemy. And it was an ancient science. The thing that 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 uh, separated alchemy from chemistry really was that for for the alchemist, uh, God was always a part of the equation. Uh, it was believed that everything that we're experiencing right now is taking place within the consciousness of the creator. So Boy, that'll hit so you the, right between the scientific eyes if like, you're a current scientist, wouldn't it? Correct. Yeah, exactly. So they so the, the belief was as far as alchemy goes, is like, look, this is all happening within the mind of the creator. And just as our thoughts can change, so can matter itself change because it's all crystallized thought, really. And that uh we are a subset of consciousness of that greater consciousness, but we, we have the ability to um, access it for ourselves and to manipulate it to a certain degree. And this was, this was really the basis of alchemy. And, and, um, and, you know, it may sound kind of like, uh, I don't know, out there a little bit, but if we remember like even the, in the 20th century, the, uh, the greatest physicists, uh, you know, people like, um, uh, well, you, you name them, Mac Maxwell Planck. Uh, 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 yeah, I, I'm, I'm just drawing a, I'm drawing a blank at the moment, but all the great physicists of the 20th century, mm -hmm. they also said that they believed that the more they looked at the, uh, the state of matter and and at, on a subatomic level, the more they came to realize that it operates like a giant mind. In fact, they even had quotes about this, you know, many several quotes where they talked about, you know, it was there seemed to be an intelligence or a mind uh, that the 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 energy that's behind matter is actually mind stuff. This is what they said, and this became the basis for uh quantum physicists yeah uh and it and it became the basis of super string theory everything that we're starting to look at now is was based on this concept but it's to this may seem like wow kind of far out spiritual to the modern scientists but it's actually it's an old concept and it, and it goes back to alchemy and the alchemists believed this that that we are living in a minefield and uh, of conscious intelligence 
and that it manifests in, in patterns in nature. And if you understand those patterns, you can build stable systems that 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 are in harmony with those patterns. And you can also break down matter, take it apart, and recombine it into new forms. In fact, Sir Isaac Newton, who was a was a eighty five percent of everything Isaac Newton ever wrote on, was actually on alchemy. Uh, most people don't know that they think about his studies in gravity or mm-hmm. his studies in optics, but they don't understand that behind all that was his studies of alchemy. And, and most of what he wrote on was out al- was alchemy. And Isaac Newton said that, um, the, uh, the transmutation of light into bodies and bodies into light seems very comfortable in the course of nature, which seems to delighteth in transmutations. I mean, this was the basis of what he was doing. He said, look, it was all, it's all light. It's all conscious light. It crystallizes and it turns into forms that we call matter. Uh, but though that matter could be broken back down again, back into light and can be rearranged and transmuted into new forms. And, and this was the basis of everything he was, he was, focusing on you know with his studies so that's alchemy i mean that's that's essentially that's alchemy i mean the alchemists of the uh 1500s and 1600s they all said hey this is an ancient science it's something that goes back to ancient egypt Mm -hmm. it was something that was understood by many of the greek philosophers and uh and was was there were aspects of it that were tied into the Eleusinian mysteries, um, and that uh, there is evidence of this science being practiced, you know, in the ancient world and in in uh, in Egypt in particular. And in fact, the word alchemy comes from alchem or alchemet, which was the ancient name for Egypt. So it was the science of Egypt, of ancient Egypt, that was being passed down, studied by different cultures, and you know, eventually got new life during the uh, Renaissance in in uh, Europe. So, but there was alchemical practices being done all over the world. I mean, you know, it's a mistake to think that it's just a European science. I mean, it was all over the ancient world there were ancient china ancient india uh, ancient greece ancient rome uh, and even in the americas they were practicing different forms of this alchemy ancient sumer um in fact the the name of the grail the or i'm sorry the name of the alchemical science in ancient sumer was graal g-r-a dot a-l which is in fact, the origin of the Holy Grail yeah. uh, um, mythos uh, it was tied in directly to this this ancient science. So that's a t- summary. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. I have a couple of questions for you before we launch into some of these mysteries, because yeah. you have some amazing information here, Timothy. I just... I can't tell you. I I got into that rabbit hole before before we got together tonight and and started to and you can folks uh, go to uh, Timothy's YouTube page. It's very easy to find. Um, 
and we'll have a link to it in the description of this program. We'll make it even right. easier for you to find. So you can you can find right. um, uh, Timothy's uh, um, YouTube page and, and get some of this information. But um, one of the one of the one of the questions I want to ask you here, and this is it's simply this. When you say the word alchemy to some people these days who think of themselves as being uh, up to date on scientific uh, pro progress, I'll put it that way, some of the newer scientific theories, they kind of roll their eyes a little bit and go, that's nah, old information. That's nah, old stuff. That's nah, the old ways. And they think they know. They, they think right. they're in the know and they kind of poo poo it. They throw it to the side. Yeah. Why is it? And, and when you, when you learn about some of these incredibly inf informational and incredibly wonderful things that were discovered back then, why do you think that some of these people who think they're in the know would discount some of these things, especially some of the things that we'll talk about today? Why would you throw this stuff aside and, and go, because, you know, if you don't know where you've been, you don't know where you're going. Yeah. And and why do you think they would throw away the old ways, especially since when when you think about it, those pyramids had to get built. And and I'm with you on this. I truly yeah. do believe they were built by human hands. Why do you think yeah. they throw that old information away? Well, a lot of it's conditioning. You know, I mean, the, the, there are periods of time where, uh, for example, uh, uh, one of the points I like to talk about is. Uh, one of the the fundamental aspects of the alchemical science that was understood and talked about regularly in alchemical texts in the 1300s to the 16th, well, really through the 1800s, was there was an element, a fifth element that was called ether, or, or sometimes called quintessence. Mm -hmm. And in fact, uh, there was... A number, there were some scientists who, and I, I'm drawing their blank, the blank on their name at the moment, but they did an experiment on optics in which they proved that uh, ether, well, what, what they proved, what they said they proved is that ether didn't exist with their optics experiment. And they got a, they got a Nobel prize for their, their, optics experiment but they um actually what they proved is that ether isn't in a stationary field is what they proved okay <laughs> and that there was there was uh, more going on there and so without looking into the details it's quickly to just say oh well it was proven long ago ether doesn't exist uh when in fact if you look more into the details, you realize actually that wasn't proved. And that's the reason why people later after that effect, or after those experiments, people like Albert Einstein, Nikola Tesla and others were still talking about ether and they still believed in ether mm -hmm. and that uh, it is a state of matter that uh, things seem to come out of today. They just changed the name of it. Now they would call it the quantum field. Uh, and this is what the elements come out of. But the, uh, you know, back then they didn't have words like quantum field. They just called it ether. So, right. you know, sometimes things, the names change, but the, 
what we're talking about is actually the same thing in this ancient science and uh and i should also say that uh because the alchemists were concerned they believed that this energy that is at the basis of all material things was a conscious energy it was there was consciousness behind it because mm -hmm. it was again it was the mind stuff of the creator um this is where people later on as well like uh, carl jung started studying alchemical texts because he he believed like oh there must be some sort of um collective consciousness that's tied into this because he was seeing evidence of it in his own psychological studies so as a result of that uh, there's this whole other new wing of alchemy that developed that was uh just psychological alchemy you know where it was all meant to be metaphors for our own consciousness awakening and and i would say that the the ancient alchemists uh and going back you know thousands of years they would have said that yes the psychological aspect is an aspect of it too but there is also actual chemical processes right and physical lab processes that can be done as well and and it's all that's all all of that is alchemy and um and i i will absolutely state 100 percent that there are things in the alchemical processes that are going to transform our world uh tremendously in the years ahead that it, it's just now starting to get caught on and re-recognized by uh modern scientists and and some of this exotic states of matter that are found within alchemy are, are going to transform everything we're doing today and everything that we think we know about science and uh chemistry and uh, how things go together physics quantum physics uh there are exotic states of matter in al alchemical processes that are gonna they're, they're gonna transform everything so that's just on the horizon i think it's already started because uh, you know the what was it probably now a year or two ago scientists came out and they said well we we believe now that there can be a heaven, but it's it's a quantum physics pocket. Yeah, yeah, right. So, they, they, they yeah. Change the names of it. It's like, okay, right. sure, whatever. As long as we can make it mechanical and we can make it work right. in a truly physical form, we can right. put it into our universe. Right. And and to to me, that's not that's not us bending to them, or I shouldn't say I shouldn't put it in an us and them. It, it's not uh, it's not the. Um, spiritual versus the physical i'll yeah. put it that way uh yeah. it's 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 not the physical tugging back against the the spiritual it's the spiritual eventually getting to the physical yeah it's, that's right it's the yeah. you know I, I really think that's what it is i think it's the physical side going you know what we 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 don't know how to how to say to you that we did find the spiritual side of the physical and, yeah, and we can't right. we can't deny it it's there Absolutely. And in, in fact, you know, one of the, uh, from a Templar perspective, you know, one of the symbols for the Templar order, in fact, the main symbol was the red Templar cross, which mm -hmm. you see behind me, which is yep. an equal armed cross. 
And really what that cross represented, amongst other things, was the the uh, vertical arm represented things spiritual. The horizontal arm represented things physical. And it was a symbol representing uh, spiritualizing the material and materializing the spiritual. And of course, how do you do that? You have to do that through consciousness, through mind. Mm -hmm. And so mind stuff or consciousness is the foundation of all these sciences. So, Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So we have now a way of figuring out how to break down chemically different things and, and using it to our advantage. Alchemy. Yeah. yeah. Who figures this out? How is this done? Who, who, who plucks this out of the ether, so to speak? I'm going to use ether again. Yeah. Who, who gets this knowledge or how is this knowledge presented to us? Well, you know, the, the, the ancient alchemists would say that it's up to every person to find it for themselves. And they use the, the there's an old term uh, that I think Francis Bacon said that said that the, the glory of God is to hide a thing and the glory of man is to reveal it. Mm -hmm. And, and that is, that's the process, but each person, um, you know, it was hoped alchemists hoped that uh, if each person in, embarked on this path where they began to study matter, they began to look at study things like the, the liberal arts and sciences and, and uh, study the the geometry behind uh, how nature manifests itself, that, that you come to realize that, again, everything is connected to a mind. You know, a, a it's all within a mind, and, it's, and it would have to be that because otherwise these patterns wouldn't be showing up the way they do. Right. Uh, it would be total chaos if there was no, no mind. Even chaos theory still is rested on the idea that there's an order behind what appears to be the disorder. Yes. I mean, that, that is the foundation of science, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you wouldn't have anything to study if there wasn't order behind nature. So, right. so, so it implies that there was a mind and intelligence behind creation and through our own efforts, we can come to understand that we can come to um, break nature down and then recombine it in new forms and, 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 and uh, come to realize not, we can learn to make medicines with this. We can also learn to uh, it was believed you can definitely transmute metals mm -hmm. if you needed to. And, and, and the purpose of that wasn't just to be like, get rich, like, Oh, look at me. I turned lead into gold. Uh, it was more, uh, how do we transform our environment so that we are, in harmony with nature, but we're also, you know, taking care of ourselves. Right. And so that we can live peacefully without, um, you know, without strife in this incredibly tumultuous uh, environment that we, or universe that we uh, currently inhabit. Um, and, and through that process, raise our consciousness in the process. Uh, to a point where ultimately the, the the alchemists also talked that we could get to a state, and, and you find this within uh, uh, Hermetic and Neoplatonic uh, 
and and certain religious texts, it was believed we could get to a state where we could experience what was known as gnosis, which was a realized experiential knowledge of how the the truth of how things really are. Mm -hmm. And it's the closest we can get while being incarnated to having an idea of the, the real consciousness of the creator. And by doing so, then we can become vessels of, of, uh, healing and compassion and transformation in this world to help everybody attain that state eventually. I mean, it is similar to in the Eastern traditions, what we would refer to as enlightenment. Yeah. Uh, same, same type of idea only in the Western traditions is referred to as gnosis. Mm -hmm. And this was a part of that alchemical process as well. And it's for this reason that even many of the uh, great alchemists of the, Again, I'll, I'll say the, the 1500s through the 1800s, they adopted names that were were the names of earlier, f former, earlier uh, Gnostic saints. Because uh, Gnosticism was a competing religion at one point in time. It was a, it was framed within a, a Christian terminology. But it was deemed to be, a, in some ways, a competing religion to uh, the, the standard Christianity, whatever flavor you want to you want to say. You know, sure. Roman Catholic Catholicism, Eastern Orthodox, uh, you know, even you know some of the Presbyterian and and, and whatever you know, whatever Lutheran, whatever you want to say. You know, modern mm -hmm. modern forms of Christianity. Mm -hmm. um, the difference was to the Gnostics. And to the alchemists who who were looking at this stuff, they believed that uh, these myths associated with Christianity were about ourselves. They're about our own transformation and our own awakening. And that even though the central character may be Jesus, uh, what it was really about was our own awakening to these higher states of consciousness, this gnosis. Um, and that the alchemical process could help us to come to those realizations, not only from a, you know, the process of making this stuff, but actually ingesting the, some of the things you make could also open your consciousness more to, to, uh, yeah, just different aspects of consciousness. In fact, for for this reason too, many of the alchemists were were deemed to be uh, uh, drug manufacturers. <laughs> you know, <laughs> certainly, you know, messing around with uh, psychedelic substances and mm -hmm. that type of thing. But they weren't they weren't just trying to be uh, drug users. They were that that was a that was a step on the way to awakening. Um, uh, one would argue without the drugs, you know, that right. one would would be able to uh, come to these states internally. So, yeah, it's it's a very interesting process. <laughs> and there, there's an interesting parallel that that I've heard you talk about that I want to draw here a little bit later in the program. We're going to take a break here. Uh, that interesting parallel has to do with a Templar tradition in the Roman Catholic Church. 
Yeah. Sure. And tra- transmutation. You know where I'm going yeah. with it. We'll talk about it here in the second part of the program, um, which I it blew my mind when you said it. I think it'll blow the listener's mind, too. Um, we'll talk about it when we get back. Uh, folks, we're, we're just getting started here. We, we really are. It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's going to be a very, very interesting program. We're talking about alchemy today, and we're talking with our guest, Timothy Hogan. And again, lots of different information here. You can go to Timothy Hogan's YouTube page and get some of this information as well. Lulu.com is his website. We'll have that link here in the description of this program. We'll have the YouTube link in the description of the program. Uh, the book, which we're talking about, um, is the, uh, the Elements of the Elements, which mm-hmm. we'll talk about the alchemic side of it. Um, you also have a talk on on your YouTube page, which is uh, which is highly informative. It's about thirty five minutes, uh, which I watched earlier today, which was very very interesting indeed. Uh, Timothy Hogan, our guest, will talk more about alchemy when we come back right here on the best in paranormal programming. You're listening to Darkness Radio. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome back to the Best in Paranormal Programming. This is Darkness Radio. I'm your host, Tim Dennis. Our guest is Timothy Hogan. And uh, folks, we're, we're just getting started. We're talking about alchemy. I forgot to mention before the break, you can check out Timothy Hogan live and in person in Las Vegas, November 10th through the 12th at Star- Stairway to the Stars. Uh, you just go to disclosure.org for your tickets. And uh, you'll be talking about alchemy there as well, won't you, Timothy? 
I will, yeah. I'll be talking about alchemy in its different forms all over the ancient world and uh, in showing how they all have a common source. Oh. Uh, that they uh, they had all, had all inherited this science from an earlier pre-Diluvian civilization. All right. Boy, that sounds interesting, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Man, see, I may have to get my ticket to Vegas just to go see that. <laughs> I, you got me You got me hooked in on that as well. Uh, just to uh, update you here, folks, uh, Timothy, by the way, past master with several different spiritual and initiatic traditions, uh, you're uh, you're running the Templar Collegia. Uh, you're a, a current Grandmaster for the Order of the Temple of Secret Initiates, uh, Temp- Knights Templar lineage. Uh, yeah. you, you're uh, you're uh, man. You've got so many different. You've got at least eight different books out there right now that that people can can pick yeah. up uh, with lots of different knowledge out there. So, again, a, a very esteemed guest. I'm, I'm, it's my honor to have you here. Uh, today uh, timothy so i appreciate you being here um okay so getting into it here we're talking about alchemy we're talking about how we acquire this knowledge how we get this knowledge how they did at least in back in the uh you know in the uh at least through the 1100s 1500s 1600s and how it had to start now you recently came back from egypt and you talk about an ancient civilization that really used alchemy to form their their great civilization yeah an ancient civilization the ancient egyptians let's get into this for for a minute um ancient egypt had to find a way to build these gigantic not only pyramids but but ancient structures Mm -hmm. and you know a lot of people automatically say well i'm going to use a paraphrase here it's aliens um Tell me why, Timothy, it's not aliens and how exactly, or maybe not exactly, but what you hypothesize they used to yeah. get some of these structures put together because some of these stones are, are tons and they're, yeah. they're cut so specifically. How do we achieve that on a human level when there couldn't have been workers that were that strong to put this, this all together? Yeah, well, there, there, you know, again, a, a lot of it, I don't want to say all of it, but a lot of it does go back to alchemy. Um, there was, in ancient Egypt, there was the the myth of the god Osiris. Uh, this was the main myth, uh, Osiris and Isis. They were, uh, they were a brother, sister, husband, wife team. Mm-hmm who uh, ruled Egypt, it said. And, and, you know, the story, the stories about Osiris was he, and just like a real general, like, uh, I guess, uh, summary of the myth of Osiris is uh, Osiris was, uh, he was a vegetation god. He was, he was painted green for that reason. Uh, He was, uh, his brother, kind of tricked him uh it, it said it was like a birthday party he he was he was given a a coffin that he could uh that that his his brother set had given him this coffin he got in the coffin and uh he ended up uh then set tricked him and cut him up into a bunch of pieces threw him in the nile uh the nile river and uh you know, it didn't look good for Osiris at that point. Yeah. So then uh, what happened was he had a, uh, he, 
<laughs> sorry, I have a dog in the background. No, that's he's, fine. Like uh, like I told you pre-show, barking. <laughs> like I told you pre-show, we love dogs on this program, so yeah. we're, we're more than fine with with any dog in the background. So very good. Well, he's so so Osiris is thrown into the Nile. He's he's chopped up, thrown into the Nile. Uh, you'd think that was the end of it, but he actually uh, the pieces of him started washing up in uh, different areas. Some say he he had remained contained and his 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 coffin washed up and was absorbed by a particular plant that was known as the tamarisk. And uh, out of this, the uh, goddess Isis came and found him, got him reassembled back together. Uh, well, she turned into herself into a bird and flew around him, and then she. Uh, lit oil lamps and incense and and with the help of Sekhmet who was the lion the goddess lioness the goddess uh, who is in a the goddess in charge of healing and also in charge of war uh, she she ended up uh, Isis and, and Sekhmet were able to raise Osiris back to life and so this was the first resurrection myth that pretty much all of the other uh in the eight of of the world, you know, there's there's at least sixteen. Some would say as many as a as fifty different uh, characters through through ancient mythology that were died and resurrected, and but the Osiris was kind of the the foundation of that. Okay. He, that Osiris was the that foundation story, and most people just take it as that. They just say, oh well, it's a uh, you know, it's just a mythological story. It's about how Osiris became overcame death and became ruler of the of the um, the underworld, and and that's about as much as you need to look into it. But but to the Gnostics, they saw this as a metaphor for how con how our world itself appears to be separated into lots of different pieces. And once we bring it all back into oneness and we see the bigger order of it all, that's where we attain Gnosis. That's where we attain this divine knowledge. And they even looked at the, the stories of Jesus, uh, which is, which normally interpreted as, as resurrection is the Greek word anastasis. And anastasis actually in Greek just means awakening. Hmm. And so to the Gnostics, they said, well, this was the awakening to Gnosis. It was, it was the awakening to this divine knowledge. But applying these the different stages of Osiris's uh, story to alchemical processes, we have we have what are known as the three main processes that every alchemical transmutation much must go through. The first is you start out with again, a veg, veg, vegetation material of some kind, and whether it be an herb or a plant or a, or a fungi or, or something that grows out of the earth, okay. um, including a metal metals would be included in this as well. Then you subject it to a, solution a, a liquid solution that'll break it down okay right so you throw it into 
in in the story of Osiris, it was the Nile, right? It represented the water, this liquid component, right? Right. right. Uh, but so if it's a if you're talking about a metal, you're going to subject it to an acid. If you're talking about a um, an herb, you may be subjecting it to an alcohol or even just water itself. Mm-hmm. And and you're you, what you do is you put it in this vessel and you'd allow it to digest at a slow heat, just like your food digests in your stomach. Yep, and it, and it starts to break down through that digestion process, mm-hmm. and and it starts to break apart into the parts that made it up basically it, 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 but it's in the solution okay. so this was the first stage the next stage was you distilled that liquid so and by distilling it you'd set up a a you might have a long neck vessel or um put it in uh, any number of different uh lab designed equipment designed to heat that liquid and turn it into a steam and then that steam would fly up to the the highest point of the vessel and then it would condense and it would start to turn into a liquid again and and flow into another vessel and when you did that you were separating the the subtle aspects of what was in the original vessel and uh, distilling it into another vessel. And this is where we get alcohol from, actually. This, yeah. is, um, this is, you know, the, the alcohol gets separated from the water. It ends up settling in the um, this other new vessel. So in doing this process, uh, in alchemical text, this is always represented by birds, Okay. Right, because it's it's flying into it's it's turning into an air air it's it's turning into a steam right right it's flying up to the the top of the vessel so this was represented by birds and of course in the story of Osiris uh, Isis turns herself into a bird mm-hmm. right and she's trying to reassemble the parts of him yep so the first part is she turns herself into this bird and does these uh, flies around the top of the the area where he is and he and she uh she's trying to to put his pieces back together in a new form yeah so then uh the last stage then in the alchemical process is the remnant body that was at the bottom of the original flask had to be calcinated down to ashes and out of those ashes certain salts could be extracted and those salts were, were were fundamental to being recombined with the with the alcohol and the oils that were extracted from the distillation process in order to create a new form, a new body. And this new body would be, depending on what you started with, it could become a new medicine, it could become a new substance. And um, but again, in the story of Osiris right before Isis raises Osiris back to life, she's lighting the oil lamps and the incense. She's using fire, mm-hmm. right? To, mm-hmm. Just like we do the calcinate down at the last stage. So these, these fundamental stages are included, included in the myth. People just aren't used to looking at it that way. But ultimately, uh, if you, if you do this 
experiment on a certain plant that grow in the Middle East, mm-hmm. uh, in Egypt, things like tamarisk, which is what Osiris was said to be uh, buried in, uh, you can extract some very special salts from it. Uh, very, very special. Um, also, acacia is another one, uh, one of the other plants that grow in, in the Middle East. And then there's there's another a whole another class of plants that are known as dictapetalum, which was a which was a uh, it's kind of a thorny type of plant. And if you what you can extract from that is actually hydrofluoric acid. And why that's significant is hydrofluoric acid can, in fact, uh, melt granite. Oh, wow. uh, granite is full of silica. What it does is it melts the granite, starts to turn it into putty. So then you can shape stones, actually granite stones. You can, you can cut the stones with it. You can shape it and you can etch into the granite this way too. And the, and the only thing that stops that hydrofluoric acid is uh, beeswax and gold, ironically. So, uh, if you were wanting to create an etch on a granite monument, all you would have to do is is create a template using the beeswax and, you know, remove the beeswax from the areas where you wanted it to, to etch. Yeah. And then you just put a one of these hydrofluoric acid washes on there and it would eat it away and, and create a nice, perfect etching. So this was part of what the Egyptians were doing. And, you know, they, they'd inherited and figured it out. And by the way, they need, they also needed that hydrofluoric acid in order to break down other substances to get the, extract the salts out of it. Wow. And they were specifically looking for um, the, the salts that they were extracting. We, we now refer to them today in our modern scientific language. We refer to them as uh, monoatomic elements. What they are is they're um, platinum metals that have been reduced to a uh, what's known as a monoatomic state, where they um, the outer valence ring is completely captured by the nucleus of the atom, and so it doesn't bind with anything. And when it does this, it takes on these really unusual properties. It, it enters the two outer electrons on the um, on the outer valence ring of the atom enter into what's known as a Cooper pair. Okay. And they enter into a high speed state. So they don't, or high spin state. So they no longer bind with the other atoms. And when it does this, it, the first thing it does is it, uh, it appears white because it's reflecting all the light. Cause it's all in this high spin state. Mm-hmm. But then the second thing it does is it's, it, enters into a, um, a superconductive state. And as it does this, uh, amongst other things, I mean, it, it can be made into a medicine that you eat that like cures cancers, right? Because it's, it's right now, most cancer is, is cured through um, things like chemotherapy, which is heavy metals. Yes. And the, the the heavy metals, because it's in a heavy metal state, it's poisonous. Yeah. And it ends up curing the cancer, but it also makes people pretty sick in the process. Well, when it's in a high spin state, uh, 
it's no longer in a heavy metal state. So it it does the work of curing the cancer without those negative side effects. And this is something that the Mayo Clinic is actually looking into right now, developing further for um, cancer treatment. Oh, wow. But it was something that was done in the ancient world. And the other thing it does is when it's in this state, if you subject it to a weak electrostatic or electromagnetic fields, mm-hmm. it'll actually cause the container that's holding these monoatomic elements to weigh less like a a container filled with the monoatomic elements and the same container filled with nothing, the container filling filled with the monoatomic elements will weigh less than the the same container filled with nothing because it it causes an anti, a uh, anti-gravity effect causes a levitation effect on the container that's holding it. And so this is, you can start to see, okay, so through these processes, you can you can cut the granite. You can, in fact, if you go to the unfinished obelisk at Aswan mm-hmm. uh, in Egypt, which is this giant thing, mm-hmm. you know, they'll try to tell you this ridiculous story about how they use copper tools to carve it out or <laughs> or 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 uh, other granite, you know, and they just banged away at it for a long time, and. I mean, that would have been impossible, but yeah. there is evidence of this melting from the hydrofluoric acid uh, that would they would have been extracting to, to get that. And then once you got the salts, uh, you could use the salts to under the right conditions to actually cause the, the granite to weigh less, start to weigh to levitate somewhat so you could easily move it. Wow. So this was all science of the uh, that the ancient Egyptians inherited, uh, and I do believe I do believe that. And and the name for these secret salts, uh, in modern well in ancient vernacular, was mana. Okay. Uh, this is the mana of the Bible, and this is the mana that was stored in the Ark of the Covenant, and this is the mana that was. Uh, that the wandering Hebrews ate okay. as they were wandering the desert. And this is why Moses witnessed God as a burning bush, because you have to calcinate down the vegetable matter in order to extract the mana from the salts ah. uh, or from the ashes. Uh, this is the, um, this is in, in, in the, Abrahamic traditions of of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, you know, it's referred to as mana. But in other ancient cultures, it had the same name. I mean, in 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 uh, ancient Sumer, it was referred to as shimana. Okay, and this was a substance that the gods used, the Anunnaki used to create flying crafts. Uh, it was described that they, they created these flying crafts with this shimana. Okay. Uh, in ancient India, it was referred to as vimana. And it was described that they were doing the same thing there with creating these flying crafts with this substance. In uh, the Buddhist traditions, it was referred to as mani or chintamani, uh, which was, you know, like mana is just mani. So, sure. like, if you ever see the Tibetan prayer of om mani padmi hum mm-hmm. the mani is sometimes translated as precious jewel or precious stone uh but it was it was this these this white stone this white 
this these white salts, you know, that could be extracted. Um, or in the Polynesian cultures, it was referred to as manna, you know. So it was, right. so it's the same the same term being used in all these ancient cultures. It's just uh, it was an out part of this alchemical process. Why, why in God's name, Timothy, are we led to believe in the Roman Catholic Church, especially? Yeah. That mana, mana, is it's bread. <laughs> yes. Why? Yeah. Because they used to they used to bake it into the bread and eat it. <laughs> I mean, that was the that was the shoe bread that was found in the uh, Old Testament or the Torah that the Hebrews were making, and uh, so it was sometimes called this bread. And in fact, if we uh, to the alchemists and to the Gnostics. They saw the story of Jesus, his his birth, uh, as entirely alchemical metaphor for alchemical processes. So, for example, um, one of the places that you can find mana in, you can find these monoatomic elements in abundance, is within sea salt. Uh, it's uh, it's produced deep in the earth. It gets pushed up volcanically into the ocean and it gets completely absorbed into salt, into the salt water. So there, there is a way of breaking down salt to extract it. And this is why uh, the alchemists would say Jesus was born of Mary. Mary or Maria means sea or salt water. That's literally what Maria means. Mm -hmm. What happens when you heat salt water? Well, uh, salt cubes crystallize out of it, right? Yeah. And if you take those, if you take those, and I say cubes because they are, if you look at at uh, regular table salt under a microscope, it's little cubes. Yeah. Well, if you unfold a cube, you get a cross, right? Mm -hmm. And if you're ex if you're extracting the mana out of those salt cubes, you're you're symbolically opening up the the salt cube, you know, to get the mana out of it. So, so here you have, you know, a cross symbol, which of course is associated with, with Christianity and Jesus, but not only that, but um, Jesus is said to then be born in Bethlehem. Well, Bethlehem in Hebrew means house of bread. So, so again, you're, you're, it's, it's a, it's all a metaphor for extracting this salt or this uh, secret salt, this mana, out of the the normal salt, you know, out of the seawater, or the or the 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 Maria, Mary, the you know, which literally means sea. So, um, this is how they looked at it, and and the rest of the story of Jesus uh, throughout that that myth um, reveals other aspects of that alchemical process. <laughs> so. And this is why, even in Revelations, it says, to he who overcometh will be given the hidden mana and the precious white stone, because it's, it's alluding to this, this substance. And uh, it was uh, to the alchemists, they said, well, this was the science that Moses knew. He learned it from the Egyptian priests. Um, and uh, this is why he burned the golden calf into a white powder. Uh, everyone knows gold melts if you heat it, unless yeah. you do an alchemical process to it, at which point then you could extract out these platinum monoatomic elements 
so it looks like a white powder yeah and yes you can you can eat it and it uh it's makes the body more conductive it 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 heals the body of ailments and and yes if you were to put it into a capacitor like a arc which is basically what the arc is it's an electrostatic capacitor that would it was built of alternating layers of acacia wood and gold and if you uh, put this mana inside of it which is exactly what the bible says was done it would have built up you know out, out there in the desert uh it, and especially when it when the ark was put in the tabernacle which was a basically a big tent with all these wool curtains all it would do is just build up a tremendous amount of, of um electricity electrostatic potential and it would discharge it through the top of the ark and it would it could broadcast it in and uh you know this is one of the sciences of the ancient world and this is the reason why nobody could touch the ark without without being shocked to death and i would argue it is also the reason why the levites were in charge of protecting the ark uh, because when you put those monoatomic elements in something like the ark the ark would have weighed you know, probably a ton, mm-hmm. right, from all the gold that was in it. But yet two people were able to carry it with rods. Why, why is that? You know, with these these rods, they're able to carry it, no problem. Well, it's because of the how the monoatomics were behaving when it when they would be hit with that electric potential. It would cause the container holding them to start to lose weight. And, uh, again, the people in charge of – the ark with the Levites. And this is really where we get the term Levite Tation from. Ah. Uh, Cause that's how the ark was, would literally levitate to carry it, you know, when it was being activated. So yeah, it's all, it's all cool stuff, but this is, and the, but the, the, we think of one ark of the covenant from, mm-hmm. from the Bible. Yes. But in ancient Egypt, they have depictions of arcs at every temple in Egypt. And they have depictions on the temple walls of arcs undergoing transportation, like different transportation places. And they also show these cakes, these, these bread cakes, these mana cakes that that are referred to as white gold uh, in the hieroglyphs. And uh, they, they show them as being associated with these arcs. And uh, I'm quite certain that it was an ancient technology that the Egyptians had for a while. And uh, they tried to preserve the knowledge of it as best they could. Uh, in time, I think a lot of the arcs got caught. Some, some, Several of them probably got melted down for the precious metals. And... Now we just have this kind of legend of it, but it's still still depicted all over the temple walls. Pretty much every temple you go to in ancient Egypt has these arcs depicted. So am I to understand then, Timothy, that the ark is like a giant battery? It is. It's a giant capacitor. Capacitor. Yeah, so okay. And yeah, it would build up. It would build up. Um, you know, immense amount of charge and hold it, and then it would just discharge it through the the wings. And honestly, if you were to put one of those arcs in the Great Pyramid, for example, mm-hmm. which is a giant 
uh, structure that that has its own electrostatic potential uh, and electromagnetic qualities, which are being studied right now. If you were to put one of those arcs with the mana in it inside the Great Pyramid in the in the King's Chamber, for example, it would probably broadcast electricity through the region uh, wirelessly, much like Nikola Tesla was trying to do with his Wardenclyffe Tower. Well, it almost sounds to me, and forgive me for being a little forward with this, when you were talking to Jimmy Church on Fade to Black, yeah. and, and I don't normally promote other shows, but I'm promoting this one because I want people to check this out. Yeah. When you were in Egypt, um, and I don't remember which pyramid you were in, you were talking about you were talking about seven gates and you were talking about oh, yeah. how it, 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 uh, was it Saba that it had on the outside of it? That yeah. Saba, Saba means stargate. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so if you put in an arc in there with some mana and, and you had this electrical charge to me, that sounds like a, a battery or a, or a capacitor yeah. to open a stargate. Does it not? Yeah. Potentially. Yeah. Potentially. Yeah. I mean, there, you know, one of the other things you find around Egypt is you find uh, stones with uh, what are known as butterfly clamps between them. Okay. They were like these, these clamps. And you find this in, in uh, the Americas as well, in places like uh, Cusco and, and uh, uh, you know, some of the, the, the <clears throat> ancient uh, Central American megalithic sites. Mm-hmm. But you have these. Uh, they're called butterfly clamps because they kind of look like a butterfly shape that they hold two stones together. Well, if you go to many of the temples of Egypt, places like Kom Ombo and uh, 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 places at Elephantine Island and uh, uh, Abydos and all, all, all kinds of other places, you find these stones lining the, the ground they're not like up high or anything they're on the ground and you can see where the butterfly clamp was and there used to be metal in those those uh butterfly clamps i mean over time all the metal was removed and uh was probably melted down you know for whatever but i think probably what those were originally they used to have them all lined up lining the perimeter of these temples and I think what those were is they were kind of like the receiver for this this energy that was being broadcast. So you could literally plug things into those those stones, you know, and, and or those butterfly clamps and you know the power or whatever. I think at, at one point in time, and you know we've we've kind of lost the technology, but um, that that seems to be what was going on there and. Yeah, and a, a number of these sites do refer to uh, stargates, mm-hmm. and not only that, but they also refer to if you go to if you look at the base of the pillars of pretty much all of the ancient temples, whether where you're talking about Abydos or or Dendera or Edfu or Esna or any of these places, at the base of the pillar, there's a hieroglyph. That, that basically means t- received from the stars is what it means. Okay. So it's implying that the the knowledge for how to even build this temple came from the stars. And then in the sanctums of these temples, most of them is a hieroglyph, hieroglyph for Saba, which just means stargate. 
And yeah, they have these depictions of these gates. And uh, in some instances, in some of the places, they actually depict uh, the gods, the Nidaru, coming out of what looks like a stargate, like the movie Stargate. I mean, it's literally like an oval with a bunch of stars in it uh, coming out of the stargate and then teaching the, um, the, the Pharaoh, whoever it is, uh, who's, who's associated with that temple. Right. Um, usually, uh, how to do certain things. And, you know, if you're looking at that with our modern understanding of, of a number of things, it, that's pretty interesting. And right. now we can argue who those gods are, who those meter are, if they're, if they're extraterrestrials, if they were, you know, beings that were coming through uh, like Star Trek being beamed in there or, or what, you know what I mean? If they were, if, or if it was a time travelers, mm-hmm. uh, it's another theory, uh, but it, it, it's, it's very clear that they believe the Egyptians believed that they were aligning these temples towards certain star systems and that there was knowledge coming through these stargates to the leadership and they were using a technology to do all this. And, uh, you know, I, it's my belief that, well, you know, this was an ancient technology that, that probably existed pre cataclysm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, uh, in what we would might call Atlantis or something like that. And, and uh, when civilization collapsed during the younger Dryas period, uh, all of that was lost until there were certain later Egyptians that started finding it again. Yeah. And then they started rebuilding civilization. And in fact, uh, uh, that, that seems to be what was really going on in Egypt. Is, is these pharaohs were trying to preserve high technology that they were finding that they didn't entirely understand somewhere along the line, they figured out how to harness some of it. And, and then it became this closely guarded secret amongst the pharaoh and probably the, his top priests. So. Wouldn't it be something if that Stargate now, now a lot of people again, like to scream aliens, but wouldn't it be something if that Stargate was simply just time travel could be, yeah. And they got could to be. the end of time. And yeah, pulled, or, you know, like our future. Back. I mean, it could be like in our f- another f- hundred years or a few hundred years, we could maybe we develop the technology to try time travel back. And, yeah. And so what they were witnessing was us, you know, I mean, going back. And, and they got a hold of some Gnostics or some Templar that said, you know what, we'll, we'll yeah. help you. And here's yeah, right. exactly how you're supposed to advance your civilization. Right. Well, and, and this is, you know, going back to the Templar thing. I mean, the Templars who, who all came out of Gnostic families and these Gnostic families say they all came from Egypt originally. They were just passing on a tradition. So uh, these Templars, their entire purpose for being set up, people the the common narrative was that they were set up to protect pilgrims in the holy land and that was really just kind of a cover for them what they were really doing was they were set up to seek it they they believed the story of noah okay. 
they, they noticed that there were too many other cultures that had these flood myths and so that there had to be something to it. Mm-hmm. So they said, well, if there was a flood, that means prior to the flood, there was a high civilization and uh, clearly they were more advanced because the people were living a lot longer mm-hmm. if we want to believe the Bible story. So they, they wanted to seek out and find the remnants of that pre-civilization to, to, uh, so that they could utilize that knowledge and that technology to to uplift Europe, and that was their that was their whole reason for originally being created. And when they couldn't, uh, and they when they couldn't implement that in Europe, uh, that's when they went to the New World and to the Americas to try to see where they could implement this stuff. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Interesting stuff indeed. Now yeah. there's there's one other offshoot, if you may call it that, of ma- mana, mana that mm-hmm. that yeah. I wanted to talk about, and it's an interesting because again, I was I was raised Roman Catholic. I was an altar boy for yeah. for four years. Sure. And this absolutely grabbed me by the ears, and I I I shook my head and I went, oh, of course, this makes absolute sense. Transmutation. Yeah. So in the Catholic Church, they believe when you receive wine and bread that it is yeah. transmutated right. into the body and the blood of Christ sure. when you right. when you consume it. Right. And yeah. I'm sitting there and I'm watching you, Timothy, on YouTube, and you explain how when mana is consumed and, and there's yeah. a there's a ritual that yeah. among Templar and I'll let you take over from here. Cause I don't want to, I don't want to mess your words up here, but there's a Templar ritual and it completely describes where it, it must've been Constantine or somebody grabbed it and brought this Gnostic ritual over yeah. and, and kind of stole it for their own and went, Hey, we like that. You know, we, yeah. we like that. Not, we like that ritual. We're going to take it and we're going to make it for our own. Explain to our listening audience where this ritual got co-opted and made into a Catholic ritual and then eventually a, a Christian ritual. Well, it was, I mean, originally, originally the, the ritual could, goes back to, to ancient Egypt, actually, where they talked about the, the, the body and the blood of Osiris. Uh, and they used to actually do this communion rite. Uh, but I think it was with these alchemical elements because you can take the mana, the white mana, and you can do this other process to it where it transmutes into a red liquid. And that red liquid looks and tastes like blood. It's, it's not blood. Right. It, there's no blood in it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's, it's just part of the, the process of transmuting it. And so here you then you had your body and your blood of Osiris in the ancient world, you know, from these alchemical processes. And that then started to get passed down and adopted into uh, Mithraism, into Christianity, uh, into, you know, other mysteries. But the, um, and then, of course, Melchizedek was also associated with doing, in the Old Testament or the Torah was talked, Melchizedek talked about, uh, he init- when he initiated Abram, 
he performed a communion with bread and wine, mm-hmm. after which uh, Abram changed his name to Abraham because that was his new esoteric name. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, you know, Islam, Christianity, and Judaism uh, all come out of they're the Abrahamic faiths because of that reason. They all come out of Abraham. Mm-hmm. Um, but the uh, this this the, the Templars once they figured out based on their own Gnostic lineage that they had or that they had grown up in you know some of the founding Templars, but then also their study of meeting with other groups in the Middle East that were translating uh, Greek and Roman texts on alchemy. Uh, there were certain Islamic and Druze and Sabean factions that were translating these tax texts and, uh, and what they were meeting with the Templars and they, they started figuring out. And then also the stuff that they were looking at in Egypt, they figured out how to reproduce this process, you know, and, and the alchemical way, the actual alchemical way. And so they set up a, their own communion rite, which they referred to as the sharing of the salt ceremony. Okay, uh, that was their 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 communion rite. Uh, they had also uh, the the Manichaean tradition that they some of them had come out of had another ceremony called the Mani Sola ceremony, mm-hmm. which was the same thing as this communion rite with these alchemical substances, and uh, this was the origin of the uh the communion right that christianity does now but but christianity just uses a uh, bread or, or wafers and wine to represent these substances and further uh i guess proof of this if you if you if you wanted to look at it from a roman catholic standpoint is when you when you transmute these substances they all go through the same color changes they turn black and then they turn red and then they turn white. Hmm. For example, when you're, when you're going to extract the mana out of the ashes, first you calcinate down the the plant Mm -hmm. and you're going to get charcoal, which is black. Then with further heat and some water, uh, it it starts to turn the charcoal into a reddish ash. Mm -hmm. And then you could subject that ash to certain acids and alkalis and extract the white mana out of it. Mm-hmm. Right? So it goes black, red, white, and uh, all the alchemical processes go through those color changes. And this is really the reason why the Templars had a black and white flag with a red cross in the center of it. And it's also the reason why in the Roman Catholic Church, uh, what color did the priests wear? Black. Black. Yes. What color do the cardinals wear? Red. Red. What color does the pope wear? White. White. Right. That's the hierarchy. It's going through the same color transmutation process. Yeah. And I do not believe that that was um, coincidence. No, it's not a mistake. Uh, no. no, I mean, they're, they're, the, the, the Roman church had its own alchemists, people like Roger Bacon and others, and who were looking into this stuff as it was being brought back by the Templars. So, Interesting. Yep. Interesting indeed. It's, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, we, re- we recently had, you know, we, 
we had the the uh how should I put this? Um what a lot of people will look at as a scary day, uh, Friday the 13th, October 13th. Yeah. Uh, some people think it's a day of horror movies. Some people think it's it's a day of biblical proportions of the yeah. Last Supper. Other people recognize it as uh, the day of, of uh, Templar culling. Um, yeah. How do you observe Friday the 13th? Yeah, so, well, as a Templar, you know, the 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 history of the Knights Templar were, uh, so very early on, uh, the Templar order, according to our tradition, was actually founded long before when most historians say it was founded. Mm -hmm. But by 1118, they, the, the Templar order was looking into, they had already settled themselves in Jerusalem and they were looking at patronage to, 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 to accomplish the things that they were going to do. They knew they had to go down there and find certain artifacts. They even had knowledge of where to look for some of this stuff. Um, and, uh, but they needed patronage to fund them to do it. So mm -hmm. the, uh, you know, one of the Templar um, members, one of the founding members who later became one of the grandmasters, he was the uh, nephew of Raymond Bern of uh, Saint Bernard of Clairvaux, who was a very prominent church father, uh, who l actually ended up writing the rule for the Templars because of those connections, and uh, he was able to set the Templar order up as kind of like a, a a wing of the Cistercians. Okay. And and the idea was that the Templars would go out, find stuff, bring it back for the Cistercians to translate, and this would be to the glory of the church. Mm -hmm. And so the Templars were like, look, you fund us, you know, be our patron. We, we will help you out. We'll get you things, and we'll bring back some of this knowledge for you. So they agreed to it, and uh, they uh, – and, and, and so they started funding the Templars, and it got to the point where – um, people started donating. They would want to join the Templars, so they would donate all their wealth and everything to the Templar Order, and and just you know walk away from life, you know their their old life and become a Templar, uh, give the Templars all their stuff, and then uh, they would participate in this work of like uh, becoming a warrior monk, mm -hmm. uh, doing this stuff. And uh, but a lot of that wealth, then it really the, the Templar order, they didn't have to answer to anybody but the Pope right. because of the, the, the mission that they were doing. And as a result, they just gained a whole lot of money. They, they began to set up a banking system. Uh, in fact, checks uh, today come from the Templar process of this banking system that they set up. And it was so people could travel from one part of Europe to another or from, from one part of Europe to the Holy land, they could deposit their money in Europe. And then when they got to the Holy land, they could offer a proof and therefore be able to then retrieve the, their money mm -hmm. to, to use in the Holy land. So, um, you know, the Templars became very wealthy uh, through all this process, not to mention that, you know, they were also discovering all kinds of treasures, gold artifacts, silver artifacts, 
precious, all kinds of precious stuff, manuscripts, the whole bit. And uh, as a result, they were super wealthy. And by the time of 1307, uh, the King of France, who was Philip the Fair, he owed the Templar order a lot of money because he had borrowed all kinds of money from them in order to fund his war efforts. And he really didn't want to pay it back. And even beyond that, he wanted to make himself up as the new war king uh, to start some new wars in Europe. And he, it, it takes a lot of money to do that. So he devised a plan uh, by September of 1307. He, um, he issued arrest orders for all the Templars in Europe to take place in a month in uh, October. And he hoped to do this as a surprise to uh, surprise the Templar order, arrest everybody, accuse them of heresy on false charges so that he could seize their assets. Uh, and he into a little bit of a religious groups other than Catholicism. Uh, the uh, Roman Church, but the Templars, here were the Templars who answered to no one but the Pope, but they were going around and the Templars were associating with Muslims, with Jews. They're protecting Muslim and Jewish right to worship. They, were, they had close associations with the Druze and the Sabaeans, the Coptic Church, the Eastern Church, they were they were associated with everybody. And this made the Roman Church very uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, and uh, so, you know, and, and so they tried to get the Templar Order to merge with the Knights Hospitalier, later known as the Knights of Malta. Uh, but the, the Grand Master of the Templars, Jacques de Molay, didn't want to do that. Mm -hmm. And so... The church went along with uh, Philip the Fair, the King of France, doing this brutal suppression on Friday, October 13, 1307, rounding up all the, the Templars they could in France and the rest of Europe, uh, torturing them for seven years, uh, getting them to to uh, to give false confessions to all kinds of stuff that, you know, which they did under torture. And, uh, and then ultimately uh, they ended up burning uh, Jacques de Malay, the grandmaster of the order at the stake, along with a number of other Templars. And for most historians, certainly, uh, and certainly historians that were funded by the Roman church, uh, the this they said was the end of the Templar order, right? Because at this point, the the Roman Church was no longer giving them patronage, so and they had been uh, dissolved essentially. Their 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 properties were given to the Knights Hospitalier, later to become the Knights of Malta, mm -hmm. and so it was deemed well. That was the end of the Templar order. Uh, to Templars, though modern day Templars of different lineages, you know, they'll say, well, no, actually that's just when the order went underground, 
they they went to places like the New World, and they they started to work to try to set up a new Templar state, which uh, they tried to do that in Portugal for a while. They tried to do that until they were suppressed in the creation states of America is really the the culmination of some of those efforts um, after they had been suppressed. It's interesting when, as you go to give that information, we start to break up a little bit. It's, 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 I don't know why that is, but it's weird. Um, But I, we got the gist of what you said there. Um, It, it's, it's a, when I look at it as coming from Templar blood, I'm, I'm, I'm saddened when I when I see Friday the Thirteenth and and a lot of people, I, like I said, a lot of people assume now that we had the horror movies and stuff like that, they've yeah. moved off that the the remembrance of the the, the atrocities against Templar. Um, but it, it uh, for the longest time, I guess when when I was before the horror movies, when I was real young, it was it was it was remembered as that that templar atrocity day and i i didn't you know it was it was an odd thing to remember um and and not a good thing to remember um and i in it yeah you know until you start to learn about uh i don't want to call it alternate history because you know it's not when you get older and you start to see that this great organization has continued um and it it never did go away right um then you can you can go oh you know what it, it never did go away you know and you can right. you know you can you can just say oh you know what it did thrive um it was just a dark time for a period yeah <laughs> right after the suppression yeah know? and so you you uh you know you you uh, you just kind of take a breath and go oh okay well if that's the way the world really wants to remember it then fine and dandy if that's what keeps the name out there sure right um, right. but, but it's, I, I just, I wonder, I wanted, I, I guess I wanted to ask that question because I wonder, you know, as someone who is high in the organization, how do you, how do you look at that day? Especially when the, the mainstream media goes, well, it's Friday the 13th. And, and then yeah, they automatically sure. put that Templar name out as being part of the, uh, legend and lore of it. Yeah. I mean, we, we usually tend to, as, as Templars, we celebrate it more as so according to our tradition uh again philip the fair the king of france he issued those arrest orders almost a month before they were actually carried out and during that time our order figured out what was going to happen and so there was a a plan on behalf of the order where most of the members of the order in France were responsible for smuggling out all of the riches, the, the, the manuscripts, the sacred treasures that got it all smuggled out before Friday, October 13th. Uh, but in order to do this, there was a certain number of Templars that had to kind of stay behind yeah. and pretend like things were business as usual, including Jack de Molay, the grand master uh, in order to make it seem like they didn't know what was coming. And, of course, Jack D. Malay thought, okay, well, we'll get arrested and uh, I'll be able to talk 
tuck us out of this. You know, I don't think he thought it would have been as brutal as it turned out being, but, but what ended up happening was they did get arrested and they did get tortured. And even though the majority of the Templars had already taken off the treasure, in fact, and all the boats and everything else had hoped to capture. And, all the Roman church had left over was these uh, these buildings that the Templars had built and the, and the remnants of the cathedrals that the Templars had helped to build. But um, so we tend to look at the date as the, the day of the Templar martyrs. Okay. Because these people had to ex- have extreme courage to stay behind knowing that they're going to be rounded up and potentially tortured. And they were doing this to ensure that the, the, the sacred manuscripts and other treasures would be safely uh, snuck out of France and other areas uh, to ensure they didn't fall into bad hands. Uh, And, uh, and that was really, so even though it was a, it was a, is a tough time <laughs> friday october 13th we we do that we we always light a candle in memory of those templar model uh, martyrs and 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 by the way there's also a number of gnostic church churches that still continue to exist to this day including um the ecclesia gnostica of california uh, the gnostic sanctuary in california the the ecclesia gnostica of texas uh down in austin the uh, Apostolic Joanite Church, which is a Gnostic lineage, and they have churches all over the world. Um, and they always, on the Sunday closest to Friday, October 13th, they do a special service where they celebrate the, the Templar martyrs, and they remember them, and they do a, they do a ceremony in the church, you know, <laughs> which... Oh, and it's because of that close relationship that existed between the Templar order and the Gnostic tradition in times past good. and still continues to exist to this day. Okay. Well, good. That's, that's good to know. That's good to know. Yeah. Well, Mr. Hogan, it's, I, it's, it's been such a pleasure to, to sit down and talk with you. I hope we can do this again. Yeah. Well, I would love to do it anytime you want to do it. Let me know. We'll, well, we can do another program. We've, there's a lot we can still talk about. Absolutely, absolutely. I'd love to. I'd love to sit down and, and talk with you more about. Uh, there's so many different topics we can sit down and talk about. In the meantime, we do need to tell people uh, disclosurefest.org. Uh, you're going to yeah. be in Las Vegas, Stairway to the Stars. Uh, tickets are available right now. That is uh, November 10th through the 12th. I know you are on on Friday. Uh, Friday yes. afternoon, you'll be talking about alchemy there. Uh, the The exact topic again is well, it's it's alchemy in the ancient world. Uh, ultimately, it's it's about uh, how all of these ancient civilizations were practicing the same ancient science which they inherited from somebody else. <laughs> wow. wow! So that's what you know whether whether it was time travelers or, or extraterrestrials or, or just the Atlanteans. I mean, it was an ancient, I believe it was an ancient science of, of Atlantis. Okay. Uh, Plato seemed to elude that in his writings. And uh, it was inherited by these other traditions after the collapse of the, that cataclysm. So wow. that's what I'll be looking at. I'll be showing the proof of that. 
I got to figure out a way to get to Vegas. That's all I know. <laughs> uh, and if you want to read more into this, the elements of the elements is available. We'll have a link to the book in the description of the show. So you can check that out as well. There are eight great books out there. Uh, we'll, uh, Again, we'll we'll have a link to. I, I take it you have an author page on Amazon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just so, yeah, the we'll, Timothy Hogan author page. Yeah. Yep. We'll link to the author page on Amazon, so you can check that out. Lulu.com is the is the actual uh, publisher, website, yeah. publisher website. So we'll link you right. there as well, so you can check out the author the the uh, I'm sorry the pub- publisher page. Uh, that uh, Timothy Hogan has. And we'll link you to the YouTube page because there's some great talks as well uh, that uh, Timothy Hogan does as well. So we want you to check out the information there. Mr. Hogan, sir, thank you so much for being on the program today. Thank you so much. So great chatting with you. I'm glad we were able to do this. Well, thank you, sir. I want to thank Timothy Hogan for being on the show today. Again, it was all my pleasure to have him on the show today. It's a guest I've been wanting to have on for quite some time and, and talk to him about um, some of the different things that, that he talks to different people about all year round and bring some of that knowledge to the program because really, folks, uh, sometimes we have to stretch beyond our, our knowledge base and and learn about other things. And this may be one of those those programs that to you is maybe a little controversial. And, and maybe it's one of those programs that you may scratch your head and go, huh, Never thought of it that way before. Uh, But one of those guests that definitely uh, stretches you outside your boundaries and gets you to uh, think about other things. Again, Timothy Hogan has some books out there that you can read. We have a link to that in the description of this program. He's uh, going to be at Stairway to the Stars in Las Vegas. We'll have a link to that as well in the description of this program. All his links in the description of this program. I encourage you to learn more about Timothy Hogan and find out more. Speaking of, uh, as we get ready to wrap up and head for the weekend here, I generally tell you to take care of yourself and each other as we get ready to go to our weekend. I'm going to tell you to, this weekend, be a shining light into someone's darkness. I, you know, I, I went to Timothy Hogan's Facebook page as we were prepping for this interview, and I, I saw one of his posts, and he was talking about having a responsibility to show people, people a better way to be even if they treat you badly, which is interesting because we really do treat each other badly in society today. And especially today, you you look around, there's a lot of dark points in society. It's just the way things are. And one of the interesting things at the end of this post, it's, it's a longer post, especially for Facebook, but it's interesting. At the end, he says, it doesn't matter how people treat you. What matters is how you treat people. Your actions are the only thing that you have control over. Make sure they are done with kindness and consideration, regardless of how others may act towards you. Only then can you be an example of a greater way to operate in this world. It's an excellent post. He quotes Lao Tzu in it. He says, what is a good person, but, but a bad person's teacher? What is a bad person, but a good person's job? Think about that for a second. Well, something to think about going into the weekend. So this weekend, from me to you, be a shining light in someone's darkness. Think about it for a second. It's not just a poetic way to close the show. It really is a a way to think about your impact on humanity. Instead of being negative and, and taking the negative path towards life and thinking, I'll never do this, I'll never do that, don't put the negativity out there. 
Put the positivity out there and see how it changes your life. Always put the positive foot forward and watch the positive come back to you. And start with other people. You don't have to start with yourself. Start with the people who come into your life, willingly or unwillingly. Treat others the way you'd want to treat yourself and watch it come back tenfold. You'd be surprised. Try it this weekend. I want to thank you guys. And I do this quite often, but there's a reason I do it. It's an attitude of gratitude. I really am grateful for each and every one of you that, that listen to this program, that, that give me feedback. Even those of you who listen to this program and I may never hear from you. I'm truly grateful for the fact that you download this program and you listen to it. That you listen to this voice of mine and listen to others' voices that come across this program and talk to you and give you the information that they have to share. I hope you're enjoying this journey that you take along with myself and Bruiser and Mally and Jess. Because I enjoy the time that we spend together. And I love that you've taken that time, your short time here on this earth. And some of that time you've chosen to spend it with us. That means more than you will ever know to all of us. So again, I want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts for taking that time with us. It means so much. We've got some great shows on the way for you folks at the end of October here coming into November. And we can't wait. We can't wait to show you what we've got in store for you. So thank you so much for being a part of our family. We love being a part of yours. And thank you so much for tuning in to the best in paranormal podcasting. This is Darkness Radio. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.